Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is that you're listening. Whatever time of day it is for you, welcome to Left After Breakfast. Susanna Duffy here with you, and I'll be joined by my team a little later on. As many as I can gather, everyone's under a great deal of pressure at the moment. I hope you're not, dear listener. But stay tuned. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Oh, time to start talking again. I was taken by surprise because I was sitting here just imagining what I could do with $250. Oh, wow. All these new worlds have opened up to me. Well, I put half of it on the gas bill and half of it on the electricity bill. Well, I put it all on the gas or all on the electricity. Oh, decisions, decisions. Ah, well, what are you going to do with yours if you get it, listener? Not everyone's going to get it. Not every poor person's going to get it. Just some of the poor. The ones that Scott thinks will vote for him. Golly. I wonder how many people that is will be fooled by 250 pieces of silver. And I thought I'd go a little wild this morning and play a bit of French music. Well, a French song anyway. Just something pleasant and light to keep me in that mood of dreaming about $250 and how perhaps I could change my life, turn my life around with it. Perhaps I should put something towards my dental bill. Or I might even buy some food. Oh, gosh. The opportunities here are just endless. La mer Qu'on va danser Le long d'argent la mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie la mer au ciel d'été confond ses blancs tons avec les anges si purs la mer bergère d'azur infini Près des étangs, ces longs roseaux mouillés. Voyez ces oiseaux blancs et ces maisons rouillées. La mer les a versés le long des golfes. La mer a versé mon cœur pour la vie. 
Avalon Jazz Band and their young singer Tatiana Eva Marie. What a pretty name. All in all, a lovely bit of music, I thought, just to keep me in a happy mood. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's Voice of Dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. I caught up with Glenn earlier, the 3CR resident historian, his and her historian, our historian. I always say that, don't I? But this is the resident historian with an interesting bit of info about a strike of truck drivers or really of truck owners, back in 1972 in Chile. And we know what happened to Chile back then, don't we, listener? Good morning, Glenn. Hello, my dear. Look, um, on TV a few weeks ago, I saw stuff in Canada where these uh, these truck drivers blockaded streets, roads, highways, uh, and that's about freedom. Ah. But what they're trying to do is undermine public health measures, to oppose the pandemic. I think freedom is more apt. They were blocking roads and things to undermine public health measures. Yeah, but they didn't want vaccines, they didn't want vaccine mandates, they didn't want any sort of health measures. They wanted freedom. But they all want to die. Well, they probably can die, but that's their issue. But like, freedom. And it's not just in Canada. It happened in the US. It happened also across a ditch in, Te- in Aotearoa. And it made me think about history, about some similar malevolent elections. Back in 1970, in Chile... There was the election of the popular unity government of Salvador Allende. This was a group of left-wing parties, like the Socialist Party, and I wanted a Socialist Chile to improve the lives of the majority of Chileans. Well, this didn't impress the US. They weren't going to cop this sort of stuff. And in 1972, there was rumours that the, uh, the trucking industry would be nationalised by the government. The Confederación Nacional del Transporte, the trucking company owners, arranged an indefinite strike of truckers, and they were led by a fascist called Leon The Gildon. company owners, the bosses. The bosses. This is a, a strike of oh, capital. of course, because they didn't want the trucking industry to be nationalised. That's right. So the trucking drivers directed their employees to take part in the strike. So around Chile, they blocked the highways. There were shortages of fuel, other essentials. And across Chile, the numbers grew as more companies did workers, OK, you're on strike. You know, you're not being paid... We're getting our profits. You're not being paid, but you're on strike for our behalf. And uh, 
in response after two and a half weeks, the government of Allende drew a state of emergency across much of Chile. But not just, this didn't stop the strike, and uh, other white-collar petty bourgeois groupings opposed the socialists join in. And on October 24, there was a national series of stoppages and protests aimed at bringing down the elected government of Allende, and finally as a settlement to end the stoppage. And one of the strange part of the compromise was, the head of the army, General Carlos Prats, was installed in the government as a minister. That's different. Having a head of the government as a minister, anyway... But this is the, the trucker strike in Chile. And um, we know 12 months later, there was a coup. Oh, yes. And the, the government, the elected government of Indo was overthrown. And Indo was murdered, along with 4,000 other Chileans. Many Chileans fled the fascist regime, some finding sanctuary in Australia. And it's come out over time. The CIA, you know the uh, American body, the Central Intelligence Agency? They back robbed striking truck owners to the tune of $2 million. Doesn't say much money. Of course, it was a while back, 50 years We're ago and more. 50 years ago. And it wasn't just the truck drivers I gave $2 million to, but CIA spent $7 million, $7 million in 1970s money to overthrow the elected government of Allende. In Australia, we've seen our freedom warriors. Okay, not, they haven't had the trucking blockades like Canada and New Zealand, but the freedom warriors are here. They've become more extreme. they the extreme right mobile isn't away from seen here for a long time. And when we talk about the extreme right in Australia, don't forget the presence of Clive Palmer of oh, the UAP. Clive, please. Well, look, so he's a concern. He had, look, in the Fin Review last year, he was estimated worth $13 billion. Well, that's because he doesn't pay his workers, that's right. does he? That's right. In the 2019 election, he spent $60 million not to win a seat, not to be elected, but to block the ALP being elected. He got what he wanted. Now... We know in Australia, Palmer and his UAP mob are involved in the freedom movement. How much money is he putting into these activities? When he vigilant, forewarned, is forearmed. And that's my two bobs worth for today. Mm. Well, thank you, Glenn. Concerning, man. I, I do find Mr. Palmer and his freedom warriors very concerning. And I said, the extreme right in Australia has been mobilised in a way we've not seen for a long time. So let's just learn, let's look at what's happened in the past and learn the lessons. But anyway. Let's be careful. Let's be vigilant. Forewarned is forearmed, my dear. I will say, as I always say, Shakila. Shakila. Susanna here with you, and we've just heard from Glenn, the resident historian. We will be hearing from the bag man a little later, and we'll hear from Holly as well. And I want to speak to you again about the cashless debit card. We have an election coming soon, soon, soon. And a vote for this current government means the cashless debit card for all of us who live on some kind of benefit or pension. It doesn't matter if you're doing all right on your pension. Well, I hope you are. Not many of us can. But it doesn't matter. It means nothing to those people sitting in power because cashless debit card is a huge and fun-filled moneymaker for them. Uh, good morning. You're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. Yes, you are indeed listening to 3CR. You're listening to Left After Breakfast. Good on you. But I wanted to hit you first off, listener, with the concern, the very deep concern that we have an election coming soon. 
and you have to get your friends, your neighbours, everyone you know, strangers on the bus stop for heaven's sake. We must not vote these buggers back in. This worst government that we've had forever. Let's just get rid of those people in Canberra as quickly as we can. Vote them out. Otherwise, well, what other choice do we have? I don't want to say it on air, listener, but you know what other choice we have. There are so many reasons to vote these buggers out. There are so many things I could say. But one thing we have to remember when we're talking about this particular government is the cashless debit card. And that's of great concern to me. And it should be of great concern to you. The cashless debit card, as you know, what it is, it forces income support recipients to have 80% of their benefit quarantined to a debit card that can't be used for gambling or to purchase alcohol or to withdraw cash. The remaining 20% of a person's pension is placed into the normal bank account. So it's advertised as being an income scheme to stop people using their pensions on alcohol, gambling, etc. But don't worry, because everything else will be business as usual. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. It restricts so much more than that. It means you can't shop at supermarkets because some supermarkets have a liquor section. You can't pay for school excursions on it. You can't pay for school uniforms on it. They have to be from some approved store. Well, have a little think about what might be an approved store, something with which this government agrees. The point is it strips away from people their right to manage their own finances, making them, well, at least second-class citizens, making them endure abuse and stigmatizations, makes them being branded as a drug user, alcohol user, and being basically financially worse off due to the extra fees and charges for using the card. And though the government has claimed the card will reduce the effects of welfare fueled alcohol and gambling abuse and it will assist people to break the cycle of welfare dependency by stabilising their lives and helping them into employment. And they claim that the card reduces domestic violence and crime and improves the welfare of children and families. However, the St Vincent de Paul Society has spent many years researching the effects of the cashless debit card and they show that this does not result in widespread or sustained benefits either to the individual or to their community. It leads to no discernible improvements in employment outcomes, is poorly targeted, is not cost-effective, can result in strong negative experience, that is, social stigmatisation and exclusion, financial hardship, increased stress, financial harassment, discrimination, and damages financial management skills. But the question we ask, why is the government so keen on this card? Let's just have a look where the idea of the card originated. Well, you'll probably be quite surprised to find that the mining billionaire Andrew Forrest put forward the concept of this card to the federal government himself. I'm not sure when we started taking advice from 
mining billionaires and retail billionaires for heaven's sake. I suppose we should always remember that Jerry Harvey as a billionaire retailer, once again a very wealthy individual. He's the one who lamented that Australian charity is being wasted on no-hopers. Well, let's just leave Jerry Harvey, the one of the most dislikable people in this country, and we'll look instead at Andrew Forrest. Now, what does Andrew Forrest hope to gain by giving advice to the government on how it can look after its less advantaged citizens? I mean, seriously, what could a mining magnate hope to achieve? Does he care about people who are less advantaged than he is? We shall see. I mean, nothing wrong with people giving their opinions, and they're entitled to their opinions, even if their opinions are too gross to make you keep your breakfast down. But they shouldn't be proffering their opinions directly for government, especially how to apportion taxpayer funds in the interest of the public. Because, seriously, listener, mining magnates rarely consider the public interest. You know, that's why we have elected representatives. That's why we have a public service. The elected representatives and the public service implement critical community services and they take responsibility for the decisions that they make. So, all in all, it was rather, well, perplexing, really, why Andrew Forrest came up with this idea of his. He gave this report to the newly elected Abbott government. He brings ideas and opinions to the table, but these are ineffective, harsh, and demeaning to the people they're meant to support. And let's be real here. Ideas provided to create more opportunities for the wealthy class. And his report, called Creating Parity, was essentially a long opinion piece, showcasing the thoughts of Andrew Forrest. Typical of the robber baron corporate cowboy mentality that strongly suggests his way is the only way to address welfare issues. But what I find really curious in this Creating Parity report, listener, in this report, Forrest consistently refers to the National Australia Bank, to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, to Westpac and to ANZ. But there is no mention of Indu, the banking company that Forrest and a couple of his friends were involved with at the time, and the company that has ended up managing the program. Well, of course, you'll say governments should be open to new ideas to address identified social problems, but Forrest sought money-making opportunities that will benefit friends of the Liberal and National Parties and siphon public monies into private hands. The Indu company has existed in some form for about 50 years, but more recently developed a range of tentacles that reach out to a range of political players, primarily within the Conservative domain. The most prominent of these is the former National Party MP, Larry Antony. 
During the time of the Howard government, Anthony was the Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, and after losing his seat at the 2004 federal election, he became a director of ABC Learning, the corporatised childcare provider that attracted a wide range of Liberal Party operatives and MPs, you know, like Peter Dutton for a start. Through a 50% childcare subsidy provided by the federal government, ABC Learning reached a market capitalisation of $2.5 billion. If there's largesse to be found and delivered from the government to the private sector, Larry Anthony is never too far away. Anthony's trust company, Ilalangi, owns substantial shares in Indu. Now, Indu has received between 4000 to 10000 for each participant in the cashless debit card, up to $10,000 for a private company to manage an account only worth up to 14000 annually, would make me ask, um, is this company the most cost-effective option? And also why it was chosen in the first bloody place, especially when the expertise and experience provided by the National Australia Bank, the Commonwealth Bank, the West Bank, or indeed ANZ, would obviously have been far superior. But, come on, it's all about the transfer of public money to private hands. This is the cashless debit card, listener, and it's coming for you. Oh, I'll have to stop and take a breath. It's been more than 10 minutes I've been ratting and ranting away about this transfer of our money into the hands of a very greedy and obscenely wealthy few. So I thought I'd play something from my past. Oh, Golly, you can pick my vintage, can't you, by the music that I play. Here's a really, really old one from on top of my wardrobe again. From The Weavers. Standing idly by the shore, 
I heard the owner saying, got no work for you no more. Yes, the Weavers. Pete Seeger started off with them, of course. Oh, God, that takes me right back to the 1950s when I was listening to the Weavers and trying to play the guitar with all those little dung-dung-dung-dung. Well, I learned that fast enough, but nothing else, really. Oh, well, that's all in the past. It's another country, as they say. But, yes, the Becks are made of marble. And Indo is made of marble with a guard at every door and our federal government putting the army around it. That's where the money's going from the cashless debit card and it's coming for you. This federal government is all ready to go with rolling out, oh, I love that term, rolling out the cashless debit card to everyone who is on a benefit or pension. Everyone, just remember that, listener, when it comes time to vote. And it won't be long before it becomes time to vote. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. And I am indeed very, very serious about an election coming up soon, listener. Be ready for it. Have your friends ready for it. Have your family ready for it. Have everybody you know ready for it. This has to stop now. This murderous mob has to go.
Seeger, of course, and the lovely voice of Ronnie Gilbert soaring over the top of them. Ronnie died when she was 88. It was only a few years back now. She was still singing the year that she died. But please keep in mind what I've said, and I keep saying, about that damned card that this government really wants to force on everybody one-third of the population of Australia. It's enough to make you want to go out and revolt, start a revolution, be revolting. But anyhow, as I promised earlier, here's Holly. And we were talking about revolutions, Holly, and you said they're common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think capitalism is an absolutely horrible system that's built to serve the interests of a minority but one thing about capitalism is it creates its own grave diggers, the working class. And another thing about capitalism is it's prone to crisis. So crisis breaks out in capitalism all the time, whether that be economic crisis, war, a global pandemic, all sorts of things. And these create situations where ordinary people become radicalised and realise that this system doesn't work for them. So actually, revolutions are very common. I was saying just before that we had a, a revolution in Myanmar last year against a military junta. We had the Arab Spring in 2011. I think an, an example of a revolution I look to that that kind of mirrors the situation that we're in Australia is France 68. The I think the state of France was not that dissimilar to Australia today. It was, you know, developed. The economy was seemingly going quite well. 
But yeah, these crises break out and ordinary people start to resist. Um, and another thing about revolutions is that they tend to spread, right? So in France 68, actually revolutions spread throughout Europe. And so even if a revolution weren't to break out in Australia, it the revolution in Myanmar could have very well spread. Or the Black Lives Matter movement, which wasn't quite a revolution, but it was an enormous civil rights movement where masses of people were radicalised. That sort of thing. If there is a presence of socialists who want to lead it further, who want to call for strikes and workers fighting back, that sort of thing can turn into a revolution. And that can spread. I mean, we saw amazing, like, uh, like demonstrations in Australia in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. If that had, like, escalated to a revolution, that could have spread to Australia as well. So I think there's lots of hope for us to look to because revolutions do break out so often. Don't you know Talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds like a whisper. While they're standing in the welfare lines, crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation, wasting time in the unemployment lines, sitting around waiting for. morning in fine fettle and as unbiased as a Collingwood cheer squad and as smart as a builder's labourer. 
Well, that's pretty bloody smart, I can assure you. It sure is. You don't get much smarter than a builder's labourer, Susan. I've got to put in a disclaimer here. Because of COVID and it's still going on and people are still dying of it, we have to record this program on a Wednesday for the, to be played on Friday morning. So I've got to ask, Susan, by Friday morning, what would you have done? Would you have spurred your $250 generous stipend from the Morrison government in order to buy your boat? When will I get it? Well, that's the point, Susan. Uh, I'm going to buy $250 worth of peanuts because that's about as good as it gets. People will be convinced $250 uh, for the lower paid, the pensioners, the unemployed, uh, people on New Start will be in some way convinced to vote for this government. But you've got to take into account a vote for Labor to get rid of the insidious NU card which is costing taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Now, they may give you a lousy $250, a one-off payment, but the INU card, when it comes in, the INU card, which is being run by the Friends of the Liberal Party, has apparently moved to Singapore to avoid paying tax on their profits. Now, there has not been any credible evidence of benefits from this card. Are you actually trying to tell me, I'm not sure, please let me know if I'm wrong, but is this some um, $250, is it? Is this to buy my vote? I, I think that's a general idea uh, moved by uh, Josh Frydenberg and Scott Morrison and the rest of the Liberal Party because... They're in more shit than a Werribee duck at the moment, and it will be to buy your vote. Nothing more, nothing less. And some people, Susan, will fall into it. Now, I will take $250 to buy $250 worth of peanuts because peanuts are good for you, and they contain fibre, and they keep you regular, but I will not vote for the coalition party. Perhaps I should tell them somehow, break the news gently to them, that $250 won't buy my vote. Maybe, let me think about it, 250000 No. $2.5 million? No, that's still not going to buy my vote. $250 million, maybe. That might buy my vote. No. Maybe. Uh, but still maybe, still maybe. When you take into account, Susan, for lower-paid people, people on the bones of their bum, pensioners and people not doing it very well at all, that's less than $1 per day. Well, of course it is. I'm just working that out. I'm, let me look at my count, my fingers here. 365 and a quarter days a year. Yes, it is. Yep. Less than a dollar a day. Less than a dollar a day, and they expect people to fall into it. Well, I won't be, 
you won't be and anybody else to listen to your program on a Friday morning uh, will not fall into it also. But anyway, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Uh, I'll spend it wisely. I was going to try and work it out, but I can't. No, uh, you, you need your abacus or your, your, your calculator. So there's a, probably around about, I'd have a guess at about eight bob a day. Hang on, I'm, I'm scribbling, I'm scribbling. I'll tell you how, how much it is. Yep. It's uh, 0.68491506840. So that's actually 0. 0.69, 69 cents a day, a little less than 69 cents a day. Well, well there you, you go. Should be, you should be thankful for it. Susan. I should be thankful for my education you that allowed me to do that. Susan, we go for a trip down memory lane here. Remember when I started at 3CR 43 years ago? I started off the front desk and I was doing lost dog and cat announcements. And I'm now going to do birth, death and marriages announcement because I want to welcome the new bastard child of the Pacific family China. Now, parents, Peter and Scotty are apparently not doing too well. Now, do you remember the jokes that uh, Peter Dutton spoke about when he said that they were, they had the Pacific Ocean, that these people in the islands had the Pacific Ocean lapping at their doorsteps? Well, it's come back to bite them on the arse. Good luck to China. If they are going to look after the so-called Pacific family that we've deserted over the years. I'm not sure what it is you're referring to, Bagman. I remember when Peter Dutton was laughing about rising sea levels in the Pacific and said they'll soon have water up around their knees before someone told him that the microphone was still on but I'm not sure by what's happening I missed the news. Well, apparently China has made an agreement with the Solomon Islands that they will be their partners from now on and they become the bastard child of the Pacific family and the Australian government is persona non grata. Well, of course we are. It's just so embarrassing it's really dreadful i used to be quite proud once to be an australian but you want to try and say to someone from overseas or traveling overseas yourself oh if we only can soon travel overseas yourself and tell people you're an australian they'll just say are you a liar too (laughs) are you the are you the one that locks refugees up for nine years Uh, the people overseas know about this government and they know how mean and nasty they can be. Which reflects on us, even though you can say, I am not the Prime Minister, I am not one of these greedy, insert word here, in Parliament, I'm just an ordinary citizen, please don't blame me. But it makes no difference, we are all held responsible for what this government does. Exactly right, Susan. And can we go back to last week and let's put a stop to this Kimberley Kitching saga. Now, 
the former federal leader of the Labor Party, Bill Shorten, has come out emphatically and said there should be no inquiry into the death of Kimberley Kitchen. Scott Morrison has called uh, Anthony Albanese a coward for not doing it, but the friendship of Bill Shorten and Kimberley Kitchen and take into account that she was his captain's pick to be put into Parliament, even though she had those serious charges uh, hanging over her head. But there are some poison people in the right wing of the Australian Labor Party who still want to call for an inquiry into Kimberley Kitchen's death. They are saying that Kimberley Kitchen made a five-page statement about bullying to Richard Marr, who is the deputy opposition leader. And if Kimberley Kitchen made a, a five-page complaint about bullying, then where is the five-page complaint? Well, the simple fact is there never, ever was a five-page complaint. And uh, if there was, and it's revealed, then I'll have to hang my head in shame and hang up my hat, Susan. She'd know all about bullying, as would the current government sitting in Parliament. Oh, that's right. There has been, apparently, there has been some complaints from people or women in the Liberal Party at the present time, allegations of bullying of their own. The dumped New South Wales Liberal Senator, Conchita Ferranti-Wells, has taken aim at bullying within her own party, drawing parallels between herself and the late Senator Kimberley Kissing. Talk about jumping on the bandwagon. The coffin of a dead person, Senator Conchita Ferranti Wells, so calling the Prime Minister Scott Morrison a bully. Well, he is a well-known bully, is he not? Well, he's a well-known bullshit artist. Anyway, let's talk about courage and conviction because there are a couple of women who are members of Extinction Rebellion who are now camped outside of the Ampol uh, fuel depot down in, I think it's Spotswood, who have been blockading that site for a number of days. Now, that takes courage and conviction because I'm sure that at some stage they will end up being charged by police, but they don't care because the cause that they're fighting for is much, much more important than oil and coal and gas. More power to their arms, Susan. My word, so they're camped out there now, are they? Well, apparently they're camped there. They've got barrels full of concrete, uh, which, which uh, the, the employees of Ampol and the police are finding it very hard to move. And you can only say good luck to you and keep up the good work. Also, remember the deal that was made nine years ago, uh, Julia Gillard? 
She made a deal with another woman, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinta Ardern, that people who were being held prisoner in not illegal would be able to transfer to New Zealand at some stage. Well, it looks like that deal is now coming to fruition. Some men have been locked up nine years. But what I would like to know, Susan, the Bill of Wheeler family are excluded from the New Zealand deal. I would want to know why. I would like them to go back to Bill of Wheeler and not be incarcerated in the prison. Well, yeah, let's hope that those, that family who are cherished by the community in Bill of Wheeler and they want them to come back to work and to live in the town of Billawila. Yes, and why aren't they there? And where are they? We've heard nothing about them. It's like there's a media blackout on them. Yeah, it seems that way, Susan. I tell you what, I was brought up on war, and I'm basically sick of it. I can remember when I was about 11 years old, living in North Melbourne, not old enough to have pimples, but probably all pricking toenails at that stage. And I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> but it's gone on since. Year after year after year after year. The invasion of, uh, of Iraq based on lies. The war in Vietnam based on lies. The war in Afghanistan based on lies. I just wish that the war in Afghanistan, which started 20-odd years ago, would be getting the same publicity that we now see the people in Ukraine getting. War is a place where young people who don't know each other, they kill each other by decisions of old people who know and hate each other, but don't kill each other. Uh, I'm quite surprised by the uh, the lack, of, no, the uh, publicity that the people in Ukraine are getting compared to when Afghanistan was being, being bombed, their mosques were being bombed, their hospitals were being bombed, their houses were being bombed, but there was not one smidgen of sympathy. We're also told, Susan, there's a queue for refugees wanting to come from Australia, from Ukraine. So why are Ukraine's refugees coming before the people that supported the Australian soldiers in Afghanistan? Well, I remember going back down memory lane again, uh, back in the 90s, being in a place called Kosovo, which was being attacked by the Serbian military. And the government of Australia offered to airlift those people from Kosovo to come to Australia until the war was over on the basis that they went back to Kosovo. And I'm pretty sure that most of them did. They went to Tasmania, didn't they? Who went to Tasmania? Teach you about that. But uh, I tell you what. I tell you what, you are in the wrong job because uh, corporate governance experts predict further casualties from the star entertainment senior ranks 
and board after Chief Executive Matt Beaker resigned. Now, you remember the casino here in Melbourne? Well, there's a similar casino in Sydney called Star Entertainment. And the whole of the directorship of that Star Entertainment have been involved in illegal practices that should see them going to jail. As we said last week, Susan, if it was you or me, we'd still be trying to raise bail money to get out of the gay slope. So what happened there in the casino in Sydney? Uh, apparently uh, the high rollers had been uh, illegally laundering money from crimes committed in the rest of the world, like uh, drug trafficking and sex trafficking. Uh, these high rollers are highly involved with those practices, but they have been allowed to come to the Star Casino in Sydney and launder their filthy money with the okay of of the management. But I thought that's what casinos were for. (laughs) That's right. For laundering money, they're not a place for you and me to go and win money, Susan. That's the sole operative of of the lottery that you buy every week. I also remember John Kane, the Premier of Victoria, waxing wrath about the idea of a casino here in Melbourne. And he said, it's only a place for criminals to launder money. And I thought, well, yeah. So that's how I've always known a casino was a place for criminals to launder money. I just thought they must have a lot of money to launder. Maybe I could get a job in in the washing machine room or something. (laughs) You know, Bagman, Bagman, I, I once worked at the Mint counting money you didn't yes i worked in the mint counting money and you just had to make sure they went down the machines properly but after about an hour it didn't even feel like money anymore to me perhaps that's what clive palmer think that money means nothing to him doesn't even feel like money anymore no he probably doesn't susan hey talking about clive palmer and the million dollar newspaper adverts I remember when Scott Morrison preferred Craig Kelly as the member for Hughes. Remember, it wasn't that long ago that Craig Kelly was about to be dumped from the pre-selection process. Mr Morrison came in on his charging white horse, Lance in front of him, and made sure that Craig Kelly was kept as the member for Hughes. If anything else, Scott Morrison should be remembered for, it's his defence of Craig Kelly as the member for Hughes. I can't see the Coburg clock, but I'm sure it must be fairly time for us to go... Well, Bagman, I can do one better than you. I can't see the Coburg clock either, but I can if I just, if I just, oh, hang on, if I just lean my head out the window, I can, I can see the Collingwood Town Hall clock. It's black and white. Anything that the Collingwood Town Hall clock said, I would dispute. But anyway, you live in Collingwood or you live in the Paris end of Clifton Hill, 
So it's your right to be able to take the time from the Collingwood clock. They wanted to call Clifton Hills once Collingwood Heights. Collingwood Heights. <laughs> so oh, on that note, Susan, let's go out in the same old way. Ooh, why not? Dare to throw. And dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from left after breakfast. Thank you.